I go from everything's happening to me. It's not like I have no control. I'm totally disempowered in that full victim state to I can change a few words. Let me understand the language patterns here. And now I'm over here creating the life that I want and architecting the experience I want to have. And as a coach, taking somebody from that victim centric state to the creator of what they want rather than it's not your job as a coach to be their hero. It's your job to be their guide. Yeah. They're the hero. They got to go from victim to hero. You're the guide. You, you're holding the lantern on the trail and they're the one doing all the freaking work. Yeah. I'd like to take a brief moment to thank our sponsors of today's podcast. Trident Coffee is sponsoring this episode of the Invictus Mindset Podcast, a podcast that helps us find who we are through health and fitness. And with Trident's sugar-free and gluten-free cold brew, you can do just that. Veteran-owned and locally operated, they craft America's finest cold brew coffee, and they have two tap rooms located here in San Diego. You can find them in Imperial Beach and Coronado. With 14 plus nitro cold brews on tap with dairy-free options, you'll find the perfect brew just for you. Pair a coffee with a treat from their keto bakery and support your health and fitness journey with Trident Coffee. Check them out over at tridentcoffee.com and use discount code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Once again, that's tridentcoffee.com, discount code INVICTUS20. Do you struggle with double unders? Does your heart sink when they show up in a workout? Do you feel defeated like you will never figure them out? Well, the guys over at RX Smart Gear have been helping people just like you for over a decade. Customize your jump rope to your height and skill level so you can learn double unders faster and easier. Go to rxmarkier.com and use discount code INVICTUSMINDSET to design your custom jump rope today. It's time to turn your weakness into a strength. Once again, that's rxmarkier.com, discount code INVICTUSMINDSET. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Today's guests are in Lifted Coaches. Today I've got Mark England, the co-founder and head coach of the Invictus or the Enlifted Coaches, and he's known as the language guy. And then sitting alongside him is Miss Kimberly Kesting, the community manager for the Enlifted Coaches program. I'm really excited to sit down with you guys today. Likewise. Thank you. Yeah, we're happy to be here. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We had an amazing conversation on Thursday where you gave an incredible conversation to our Invictus staff alongside our staff meeting. And I think I think I took a few notes, just a few. Of, Is it actually 16 pages? That's what I want to know because that's what I told Mark I saw you writing. Um, was, since we're going to talk legit. about... It's legit, right? But since we're going to talk about abracadabra a little bit later... Um, magicians n- never reveal all their tricks. So 16-ish. <laughs> he learned something, Mark. Right? So, something like that. And uh, before we dive into your guys' story, I just want to take like thank, thank you guys for being here. It's not super easy to make time to do some of these things. And I really appreciate you guys making the time to come spend some time with us today. Yeah, thank you. We, we, um, we said this morning we're on tour. Mm-hmm. You know, we had some uh, 
Sometimes you got to go meet people, man. You know, mm-hmm. James Brown, he said it, said, stay on the scene. It's one of his eight <laughs> rules of success. I love that. And, stay um, on the scene. That's stay coming on, down. Stay on the scene, man. As things have gotten in a lot of ways more, uh, more virtual for people over mm-hmm. the past two years, the value of, of FaceTime and, and going and meeting people and, and sitting in the same room with them, and it just it, it makes it even more valuable. And like we were talking about before we started the show, there's something about being in the same room with people. It, oh, yeah. it translates to the conversation oh, for yeah. the audience, and that in and of itself, there's there's so many there were so many uh, yes brainers uh, uh, for us to come out here. Okay, and this is this is totally one of them, man. So that's great. We're we're honored to spend some time with you. It doesn't hurt that it's like seventy and perfect outside. Yeah, you know what it's like in Virginia right now: cold and icy. <laughs> yeah, for real. You guys are coming all the way out from Richmond, Virginia, right? Correct. Yes. Very cool. Well, without further ado, like the language specialists, I think there's there's a ton of value there. You know, we all utilize language in varying capacities. Where did where did this journey kind of begin for you? I was talking about this this morning with with Kimberly. Uh, when it officially started was when I started uh, uh, teaching elementary school PE in in in, in Bangkok, Thailand, at an international school, uh-huh. uh, two thousand and two. Okay. So I moved over there, um, and like we talked about uh, on Thursday, still sounds weird to say I lived over there for ten years. And five of it was in Bangkok as an elementary school sports teacher. And I tell people very confidently that (laughs) if you can take 25 nuclear level, emotionally excited second graders, get them from point A across campus to point B at the pool, dressed out in the pool, swim the lesson, everybody gets free free time, free swim, everybody survives, get them out, get them dressed, everybody's got their stuff, and get them back over to a, a, the predestinated place, okay, on time. And it's, you've got to be good with your words. Yes, you do. And it comes down to simplicity and clarity. So that's when I first noticed that it really mattered what I said. I could speak in certain ways and get certain formations with kids and certain levels of attention. And, um, and then if I improved that, then things just got smoother. And that's when I first got really, uh, turned on, I can say by the word smooth. I like things that are simple. I like things that are smooth. And what I've found is, um, that is indicative of the reps. So behind the scenes, Kimberly can attest to this. I talk about the reps a ton, and it's one of one of the things I bring to the table with this work. I've been doing this work 15 years, somewhere between full-time and overtime the whole time, and I, I, I've, I've done a lot of it. As far as individual sessions are concerned, workshops, I'm on my third documentary. Um, my business partner and I co-founded two brands of language training, one for the general audience, one for the fitness industry. Uh, we've done two online courses. We just... And, and, and I teach all the certifications. We just graduated our 200th, 200th level one coach, almost 100 level two coaches and about 25 level threes. Um, this is my, let me count. So uh, this is my 278th podcast that I've been on interviewed and this stuff. So I, I love the repetition. And what I find is if you do the reps, you're going to get smooth and things are going to simplify themselves. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, I went to back to storytelling. This is a word that's, that 
has gotten your interest, attention. I went to, I would have gone uh, the subsequent years, but COVID locked, shut it down. In 2019, uh, my, my uh, college buddy and I, we went to the International Storytellers Convention. Wow, that's a thing. In Jonesboro, Tennessee, which is a super cool, uh, very historic town um, in, in eastern Tennessee. And they bring in the best storytellers they can find, folk, folk storytellers. And they have a 6,000-person tent, a 5,000-person tent, and then a variety of other smaller tents around. And I told him before we went in there, I was like, dude, here's what's going what to be like. The best storytellers that they have, so the, 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 the keynote storytellers, they're going to be simple and they're going to be smooth and they're going to they're tell stories. Their baseline storytelling is going to be about 80% of their normal rate of speech. Went in there and that's exactly what it was. So the best storytellers that money can buy, they're simple, they're clear, they're smooth, and they're slow. Slow and rhythmic. There's so, so many common threads among almost all of the high performers that I've been able to have conversations with. And that main one that stands out is simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And it's so fascinating. It's like a black tee with a white logo, always spot on. You can't really go wrong with that. And I really also appreciated the concept of speaking at 80% of speed because so many people are in this, as you mentioned, this sympathetic fight or flight, go, go, go. And I think, you know, to quote John Wooden, be quick, but not in a hurry. Amen. There's so, there's so much value to that. And it's so cool to see the cross correlation to some of these other people we've had conversations with and the value of delivery of information. I'm sure when you were talking to the kids in Thailand, it was smooth, it was efficient, and it wasn't too fast because otherwise they probably wouldn't have understood you. And it was repetitive. Yep. And we can take out storytelling and put in coaching. We can take out store coaching and put in storytelling. When when we're delivering instruction, uh, um, the and it's across the board, the most effective, efficient communicators that I have I have witnessed, they are smooth and they're rhythmic and they're simple and they're repetitive. Uh, and and what that does is repetition, the mother of all skill. And when people get their head around the fact that they can slow down and be more articulate and specific uh, and, and almost surgical with their language, they inevitably say less and get more done, which is uh, uh, if you're going to do anything for a duration, a period of time, you're going to need gas in the tank. Okay, You're going to need to keep your – one of the fastest ways that I can exhaust myself is to – trap my breath in my chest, say too much, repeat myself. Um, and, 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 you know, that's it. That is how I started coaching. Um, things get smoother, get, get simple folks. I dare you. I try, try it out. You're going to like it. I love that. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, you're talking about the reps and, um, I was chatting with somebody a few weeks ago and we were talking about Dave Kroll and Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters. And they're kind of famous for saying, you know, in the beginning, we just got in the garage, man. We just played. We had fun. And, and guess what? We sucked. And guess what? We got back in the garage and we kept doing it. And guess what? We sucked a little bit less. And over time, I mean, you look at the, the, the success of the Foo Fighters now. What advice would you give to people that are looking to embark on some sort of journey that are hesitant to start? 
because they're overwhelmed or, you know, there's some sort of daunting task. Hurry up and fuck up. Yes. <laughs> it's plain and simple. Hurry up and fuck up. Yep. Shout out to my man, Sam Pogue. Uh, this is a few years ago where I was in Denver. Um, so a vast majority of my time is dedicated to the coaches and the certification process. I only coach. The only thing I, I, I coach on individually is presentation skills. Okay. And one of my clients brought me out to watch her keynote, uh, a large event in Denver. And I went and hung out with Sam for a, a couple of days at his place. And, uh, um, we, I don't know if he did anything with it. And we, he bought the domain name. We came up with a brand hurry up and fail because it's so important. Uh, uh, and, and what goes hand in hand with that is, is people's interpretation of what failure means. Okay. There's only one thing that failure means. And Kimberly, I'm going to say this and then you speak to it. It, the only thing it means is that you're in the arena. If you're not failing, you're not in the arena negation acknowledged. And if, if, um, the better mistakes you make, you've heard some people talk about failing forward. Yes. hundred percent. If anyone needs some assistance with this, Get the book, The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. It's one of the required readings in our level one certification. I've been teaching on and off with this book for 10 years. And the main reason why we use it is because it very accurately and very efficiently reframes what most people think failure is. They, they take it personally. Oh, yeah. It means something about them. Okay. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is the, is the general interpretation of it. And then also, failure brings up uh, negative emotions and feelings, which reaches back into people's stories and presses those magic buttons of the times when, whether they maybe got picked on or some, some stuff inside their home happened. Uh, the unresolved emotional stories that we were speaking about with your coaches uh, um, a couple of days ago, when those, when those stories are left to their own devices in people's history, it's not that they, it's not that like, it's not like, and I'm negating and soft talk. It's not like they're in there and, and they're not doing anything. Let me clean that up. They're in there and they're doing things. We have language to describe it. That pushed my buttons. Well, what do you mean by that? That got us in touch with some parts of our story that still hold that emotional charge. And, uh, that can be bumping up into those stories can be frightening enough and quite frequently is for people not to take action, to keep, to keep, I'll do anything not to feel that again. Mm -hmm. I'll do anything to stay far away from that. Um, just off the top of my head, since we're talking podcasts and, and storytelling and things, buddy of mine, he moved to, he moved to China. Okay. Got into Chinese tea, got himself a Chinese wife from China brought her back over to the United States. She just so happens to specialize in international import and export. So he buys li literally drums of tea. Oh, man. And all the accoutrements, which you can get very deep into. A couple of years when I was in Bangkok, I'd, every Saturday I'd go down to Chinatown and hang out at the tea ceremony. Like, you can get into, into that. Oh, yeah. And he goes, this is in 2009, so think podcasting 2009. <laughs> he goes, dude, I'm going to start a podcast and we're going to do it out of my garage and we're going to do it over Chinese tea. And I want to talk about like martial arts and these other things. And I want to interview you. I was like, hell yeah, man, I'll be your first. And I was, I'll be, and he goes at the end, we'll, I'll sell, I'll sell the tea. Okay. Three podcasts in and he stops because he didn't like the sound of his own voice. So 
there are, you, you, you got to fail and you got to go through it. And uh, we, you got to get over yourself. To some degree, you've got to get over yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you see failure for what it is, you're in the arena. And also, if you've got at least a basic idea that, hey, you can clean up some of these stories that have haunted you for God knows how long, then you can make it a whole lot. You, you can you can get better faster than the average person can who's still on the fence about even trying. Mm-hmm. Kimberly? Yeah. So fitness, right? You don't come into the gym and just pick 500 pounds off of the floor. You can't do it without putting in reps and without practicing, without trying. And the thing is, is we have, we have actually three phrases that we use that every enlifted coach knows. First one, start and keep going. Because if you start and you keep going, you're going to get somewhere, right? So that's like start, pick up the barbell, put in your reps, keep doing it. Then the next one, action dispels overwhelm, which means that if I'm overwhelmed by the story and I'm overwhelmed by all the things it's going to take to do and I'm so stuck in the in the internal overwhelm and anxiety and what's going to happen here, take one step, take one action, it's going to make the whole thing easier and you're not going to be overwhelmed anymore. And then the third one, which is the best one, decide and thug it out. <laughs> Which is interchangeable <laughs> with start and keep going. We got, we got, it's we three different shirts. ways to hit the same exactly. thing, right? So it's like the repetition, the different reframe, something lands differently with everyone. And, and the, I mean, Mark, you, you described decide and thug it out. It's better for, better from you. Yeah, I love that. Let me, let me bookmark you guys there for a second. There's a really cool concept that I think is very fascinating within our, our coach, coaching methodology a little bit here at Invictus. And that is, Make it to your mat. We just stole it from mm. the world of yoga. Yeah. And just the concept of, you know, and during the pandemic, it was like, make it to your garage or make it to, you know, whatever your fitness room was. And I really love that you guys talk about just start, right? It may not be perfect. It may not meet your expectations, but the willingness and the courage to try. And so that's kind of how we think about that first one. The second one is really cool. Ironically, we had Julian Pinot on. He's the mm. founder of Strong Fit. Ironically, he kind of began his journey a little bit through Barbell Shrugged and connections with Mike Bledsoe as well, which we can talk about a little bit later. Yeah, for real. Shout out to him. (laughs) For real. Great group. And he always talked about just the comparison of the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, which I know we'll, we'll discuss and kind of define for our audience. But there's a really cool thing that he was leaning into, and that was this concept of shifting states. And we talk about the why for people. And sometimes when people are in a depressive state, it's the inability or the lack of action. And so I love that number two is, you know, action, you know, dispels overwhelm. I think that's a really cool concept because it goes back to what you said about reps. It doesn't really matter what you do, just do something. And then over time, it starts to, to develop a little bit of momentum. And then that third one is, is actually really special to me. And there was once upon a time where I was trying to accomplish Karen Unbroken, which is 150 wall balls. And I remember right around like that 85 point, it gets real uncomfortable. And it, it, the mantra that I always tell myself and clients is decide. Decide mm. in that moment that you would rather fail and the pain of suffering is way better than the pain of regret. And I had a few clients like get it tattooed. I had a few clients get it like labeled on their shoe. And so the irony of the terminology that you guys use, like this whole thing just really re- resonates and there's, there's a very cool synergy here. Yeah. Let's go back to this shifting states part that you're talking about too in the nervous system, because that's at the core of everything that we're doing and we're using it through the lens of words Yep. and where people 
the overwhelm state is anxious, tight chest breathing, uh, thoughts moving a thousand miles an hour, no clear path, no clear structure to what I want to do. I'm overwhelmed by the story. I can't even breathe. And that's a heightened nervous system state, right? Like what we are going to, what we facilitate and what our coaches are prepared to facilitate is taking people from that overwhelmed, anxious, upregulated state, get the words down on paper, start to focus in on what are my options? What's the next step I need to take? Make it simple, make it concise, make it clear, and then anchor it with the breath. So get them to calm down physically, get the nervous system to relax, and then you can see, oh, I have three options to move forward here. What's the next action I can take? Well, um, you know, I, I'm overwhelmed by the idea of starting a podcast. Well, what's the first thing you got to do? Book an interview. All right. Who can I book an interview with? All right. Let me see. Let me call up these people. Let's see who says yes. And what you described in your story of starting the show is like exactly that. So take one action, take one step, and the snowball starts to build and roll. And if you stay in the upregulated stress state, you're not going anywhere. You're stuck in the story. You're stuck in the mud, right? So we take people, get them unstuck by unlocking the breath. And that's a nervous system shift state, you know, and that's why this works so well in the fitness industry. And that's why it works well with coaches and fitness. It's like, you already understand that inherently you get that with your clients. You've got to take them out of that upregulated stress state and strategically move them through state changes. And you can do it with words and language too and breath. I love that you guys create structure around it as well. And you, 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 I think you mentioned the other day, you said something along the lines that the client is always in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. And I love that about the breath in the concept of you're guiding them, but they have to take the actionable step. And you can visually watch it in their movement, in their anatomy, in the rise and fall of their chest, in the, the speed at which they talk. And you can observe all those things. It's very, very cool to me. And so going back to the storytelling component, 2009, is that when you were in Bangkok? 2002 to 2007. Okay. So within that window, that's where you were teaching the PE. That's where you were kind of utilizing specific language. What kind of came next in this journey and how did you then formalize it into a certification program? So I moved over to Thailand for the Thai boxing. Uh, like I said with you all uh, a couple of days ago, I thought I was a tough guy in college and, um, wrestled in high school and got a jujitsu and, and Thai boxing and MMA and, and competed and did well regionally. And, um, so move over to Thailand for a year, come back, go pro. That was the, that was the deal. Uh, specifically what was the pro and was it in mixed martial arts? It, it, was, it, it was mixed martial arts. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that was, my friends were doing pro fights, open up gyms and, and, you know, just wanted to, wanted to be as cool as they are. Um, Six months over there, I had my second knee surgery. The doctor said, and uh, I remember it like it was yesterday, your career as a fighter is over. You could become a very good swimmer, uh, as in laps in a pool, you know. Uh, that right there, I used that as the proof. I built a body of evidence, like I was going to court against myself in my own head. Here's the proof that the final verdict that you're a loser, that you, something's wrong with you and you're doomed to fail, which all falls under the, the umbrella of a telephobia, which is uh, what 95% of people's 
fears boil down to. Telephobia is the fear of not being good enough. Okay. And darkness descended. I did not laugh for an entire year. Okay. And after residing in a self-imposed hell victim mentality wasteland in my head, and I'll recite because I do it frequently. I'll recite the definition of victim mentality a little bit when a little bit later when we get into some some the specific word conversations. If you want to go there, I do. I looked down that road and I saw a fifty-five-ish year old version of me, which is not that far around the corner because I'm forty-five now, and I saw a version of me that was still complaining about this whole thing, um, blaming other people, and I said I will take absolutely anything but that, anything but that. And uh, uh, I went down to um, Kosamoy. One of my my uh, the the vice principal came back from a place called the Spy. He had just done a, uh, a seven day detox. Okay, a cleanse. You go down there and you pay to not eat. It's a great gig for them. Mm-hmm. Pretty, <laughs> basically. Yeah, basically. And you take the the herbal pills and and everybody's doing yoga and sweating in the saunas and stuff and. And um, talking about organic foods and just just weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just some r- random dude from Virginia, man. It was simple, simple background. And uh, I get something out of that. I come back feeling better about myself, half because I was participating differently. Mm-hmm. I was doing something different. And I felt lighter and brighter. I'm going to keep going. My third trip down there is where I went to an emotional detoxification workshop one night and I watched a guy take a a woman uh, through a story about a really bad breakup and in in under 10 minutes he got her to the the sentence that held the whole thing together which was he did that to me he had it repeated a few times he did that to me as in making sure everybody in the audience saw it and heard it which does dovetail quite nicely back to where we started about the pace of storytelling Mm -hmm. coaches if you want to make it harder for you to change your client's mind about god knows whatever have them tell the story faster because they're going to breathe worse and the picture is going to get bigger uh, and scarier and they're going to generate more negative emotions and feelings. If you would like to uh, make them more emotionally and psychologically malleable, then have them slow down the storytelling when they tell you about where they're stuck. So we, we're very invested in the how of storytelling, the mechanics of storytelling, as in what words are people using to tell themselves the woe is me stories, okay? And how fast are they using those words? And have they ever written those stories down before? I mean, very, very uh, uh, simple answers to those questions. There's a, there's a language pattern to the victim mentality, okay? We've mapped it. And most people, when they tell their, their stories of ouch and pain and woe and sting and suck, do it quickly. And very rarely does anyone ever write out, not journal about, title a specific memory that has haunted them for God knows how long and get it on paper. And that right there, coaches, if you do those three things, have them write out the story, okay? Say it, say it slow, watch what happens. So again, the, the, the mechanics of storytelling, uh, uh, breath trapped in the chest, story is in your face, it's personal, you're in the story, it's subjective. Slow the whole thing down. The breath begins to descend. The picture moves out. Oh, you got, you got, you're creating literal breathing room. 
your client will change their mind on their own 99% of the time, which makes your job even easier. And then it gets even better because you don't have to be a, a know-it-all coach. I did that for three years, the first three years I was coaching because I didn't know better. Okay. Um, there's a big difference between a 1-800 hotline, I got all the answers that you're ever going to need, a hotline coach, uh, and someone who's got some very great, very, very simple, very reliable questions mm-hmm. and knows what to do with a pen. Here, write that down and oh, here's the language that's holding this whole thing together. Now take a breath after you say that and watch what happens. So I'm not telling people how to think. I'm facilitating a process. This, this goes for all of our, our coaches. We facilitate a process of creating space and clarity for people's stories without telling them how you should feel about something. Has anyone ever felt better when someone said, you know, you, you should just get over that? But people say that all the time. Oh, don't don't let it bother you. Has anyone ever been like, oh, wow, I didn't even think to not let it bother me. Yeah, for real. Thanks for reminding me. And then they feel better. No, it, it doesn't work like that. Okay? They've got to come to their own conclusion on their own. And when you've got this, – this system is specifically or, orchestrated, organized to facilitate clients or people because you can do this stuff on yourself to come to their own conclusions on their own. Yeah. Okay. And, and so the bad breakup, he took this whole thing and the whole story, the, the thing, the, the, the linchpin of the story was he did that to me. And at the very end, once she had said it a couple of times and he helped her slow down and get some <sighs> breaths in between the sentences, down regulation, he goes, take out the me at the end of that sentence and put in him, the, the word himself. And she goes, it was such a, a radical departure from the victim villain mental imagery that those words were forcing her to create. Cause they'll do the same for me. They'll do the same for you. They'll do the same for her. He did that to me. He's in the picture. I'm in the picture. I'm on the receiving end. Okay. And if I just, if I keep using that same sentence, I'm getting that same picture over and over and over again, same set of emotions and feelings, same micro stress or even macro stress to my breathing. <laughs> and if I keep doing that, the breath, resides here. Mm-hmm. This is a bad place to breathe the majority of the time. Um, and she goes, he, he did that to himself. <sighs> Breath. He did. You see her talk, talk herself into it. He did. He did do that to himself. And then because a new avenue of the story was opened up for her mentally and emotionally, she, she went into the, the rest of it where this guy lost friends, his social credit score took a digger. And, um, and then she goes, well, you know, it was never going to work out anyway, because the guy was pretty weird. And before she couldn't get anywhere near that because Mm -hmm. she was forced to take the thing personally, which she had been doing religiously, relentlessly for four years, so much so she hadn't gotten in a relationship. Mm -hmm. That woman walked out different. And I go, that's not my story, but that's my story. I was in 2003, lived in Bangkok, and, and kept going back down to the spa, started researching and practicing and training in this one particular style of coaching, moved back down to the spa, January 17th, 2007, put myself on the board, started getting clients immediately, and I've been um, more or less at a how much of this work can I handle pace since then. It's, it's, it's been irrational. It really has. Um, at times, I'm like, why am I so obsessed with packing my day as full as possible with as much as possible of this work? And it's, it's becoming more clear. 
as you know, the further we get down this path, because I'm having more fun now at 45 years old than I've ever had in my entire life. We were talking about this with somebody this, this morning at breakfast. Like when I was 13, 14, 15, I was looking at the 35 year old ish guys in my family and in the, um, you know, our neighbors and stuff. And they, dude, they were flatlined emotionally. Like they were bored, man. You know, a couple of, couple of kids, a wife, uh, uh, they got a job to go to and, you know, they get, the, they mow the lawn and, you know, go Redskins. I was like, that's not fun. Yeah. And I also, even though I acknowledged that, I had no idea that there was another option. Like, um, I get to teach something. I'm a teacher to the core. I get to teach something that has permanently and profoundly changed the, the way I tell myself a story about myself, to myself. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is one of, if not the most powerful force in your life. Let's just, we'll, we'll, we'll go out of that binary position and we'll go, it's one of the most powerful, the story you tell yourself about yourself is one of the most powerful and consistent, dare I, and I do dare say relentless, forces in your life. And most people have little to no education about how to use their language to stay focused on what's important to them, keep the drama down, keep the emotional gas tank high, build themselves up in their imagination. Most people's, if we even want to call it training, about how to use this tool called language. And when I say language, folks, I mean internal dialogue and external dialogue. What we think, what we say, what we write. Most people's education about their language comes down to spelling, grammar, and definitions. There's more to it than that. Our language influences the, our mental imagery, our imagination, our language. And this is the four areas that we spoke about the other day. Yep. That, that, so when I talk about language, folks, and what it influences, again, I'll give ourselves due credit for a couple of things. We've done a very good job of simplifying the conversation about words, stories, and identities, okay, and gamifying it. And when, when I talk about language influencing us, we keep it super simple, four main aspects of our experience of ourselves, and it does it simultaneously, instantly. Our imagination, our feelings and emotions, our posture, and our breathing. And when people learn just a little bit that there is a game to play and what particular words are going to send them down the road to Foxville and what particular words can keep them going in the direction that they want to go in their life, then they, um, they, they turn the conversation of, of mindset into something that is practical, as in they can practice thinking, speaking, and writing in better ways. The, the conversation about uh, mindset is held so frequently on a macro big picture level. It's this thing we know we got to get better at, uh, and but how? And then there's that really confident woman over there, and, and that looks fun, and I'm over here, whoops, would have been nice. When you add in the conversation about the words, it gets – well, it's the best word we have to describe it. It is practical. Now the con- – now it's, it's – I can I – can, I've got a path. Mm-hmm. I've got a path. And when most people's language works against them, bro, and when you get just a little bit of your language working for you, and Kimberly's seen this how many times, people get a, a, a little bit of a taste of a better story, as in the feel, the picture, posture improves, breath begins to 
release, and especially for coaches that facilitate that transformation with other people. How many people in our community have gotten bit by the bug? All of them. A lot. I mean, yes. <laughs> As in, it's it's because it's so fun to 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 coach like this. It's regenerative. Isn't it interesting how oftentimes, and what a blessing this is that you get to teach the things that you need as well. Yeah. It's the, it's this magical dichotomy there where you, when you look at your journey and how it's led you to now, you're teaching things to other people and giving practical tools that you almost wish you had sooner. Take out the almost. Well, if we want to get all destiny about it, I needed to go wreck myself in a yeah. foreign country. You had to and, go to Fuxville for I had for your to words. go on <laughs> the bullet train to Fuxville, and then it doesn't even stop at a, a, a station. It crashes right into the, the in, in the in the tunnel and bursts into flames, and then the tunnel collapses. Like I was over there, I I was I I I, I stayed over there initially because the idea of going back to my life in Virginia. And not being the fighter, because I had a rep, that sounded, I'd rather be a nobody in a strange land forever than go back and have to be the person that I was before I got into the fight game. Uh That was really scary. What a question on that point. Go for it. When you look at deconstructing your identity at that time, you identified as this fighter, as an athlete up until that point in your life where- Injuries and maybe other things took that away from you. Mm -hmm. Sophia Bush is famous for saying we need to love ourselves in every chapter of our life. You had to go through that bit of adversity adversity in order to figure out, oh, I need to change the story in my head and I'm moving into a new season or a new chapter. In that transition, What was traveling through your head for people in the world right now, listening and consuming this content that maybe they identified as something and they're in transition because they're not fulfilled and they're trying to pursue this element of fulfillment within their life in that bridge. How do they get to the point where they're ready to receive what you're trying to, to, to gift the world, write down the story of what's in the way. Because very, it, it wasn't. It, it was not negation acknowledged that I had two hundred eleven stories uh, that that uh, of of me being uh, a, a loser. I had two or three that kept playing over and over and over in my head, and it's the same thing as um, it's the same thing as someone dealing with the imposter syndrome. Okay, so can, can you define that for our listeners and our observers? The imposter syndrome. Yeah, the imposter syndrome is where you doubt your worth or your ability to become the thing that you want to become, even if you've become that. I mean, we've seen that how many times? It happens very frequently, and we were talking about this with Paul Check last yesterday on his show. Shout out to uh, Paul. We got to get you on the show, Paul. man. Hey, cool. Paul. <laughs> he, he was talking about the the called the story gap. The, the, the gap between where you want to be or are and how you feel about how you are, okay? And a lot of that gets set up. Um, a, a lot of the drivers for people's imposter syndrome are unresolved emotional issues coming from specific events in their childhood. And the imposter syndrome, okay, so you can do two things with it. 
where there, there are two, two of the main things that you can do with it. The easiest thing to do, okay, to get a little bit of relief. And again, people get a little bit of relief from something and they're like, well, yeah, I want more of that, is to write down the specific sentences that drive your particular imposter syndrome. And it's not going to be 211. It's very likely going to be under 15. Okay, that are repeated over and over and over again. If you've got a repeating story that keeps showing up in your head and you, negation of God, don't like it, write the damn thing down. It's yep. the fastest way that we know to, quote unquote, break a spell. By Webster's definition, the definition of a spell is a word or a combination of words of great influence. And if you've got a story from yesterday or 25 years ago that every time you get close to it or think about it, you get the everything tightens up and you want to you want to get some relief, write the damn thing out, even if the pen feels like it's 500 pounds, because the momentary sting of doing that and going through the emotional processing of it is nothing compared to living with that for three years or even 30 years. Cause time does not apply to the emotional body. Mm-hmm. You know, it does not apply to the emotional body. We talked body. about it on almost every single episode that we do. Writing fills the gaps within our thinking. And you talked about like the story gaps. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Cause I think you mentioned it in the conversation on Thursday, be as specific as possible. Surgical. Yeah. And the specificity of that then you also talked about right to edit because you got to get a draft down Correct. and then you can go through and you can now play with the verbiage. Why was it he did that to me? And then all of a sudden you look at that word for a little while, study that word, feel that word, share it with, with your, your circle of trust. And all of a sudden me becomes himself and knowing that a word can shift the feelings, and now that formulates the rest of your life. Oh, big time. And that is so much easier to do, ladies and gentlemen, once you've peeled a couple layers of the emotional onion. When someone's very emotionalized about something, it is super hard for them to check the the the, the specific word choice because they're convinced of the story. The stronger the emotion tied to the story, the stronger their belief in the, that story being accurate as the way they're telling it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember quite clearly what happened when uh, I did not hand in a draft in high school. Okay, and there were a few times that I handed in a second and a third draft. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between handing in a rough draft and handing in no draft. If the story is not written down, you don't have a draft to hand in. Okay, get the thing on paper. Whether it's uh, some some thoughts that keep haunting you. Okay, you will take the you will take the momentum out of those things, uh, and it will look a lot. Um, what's a way to dis- translate that? So if it's less scary, it'll look way more manageable. Once we're talking about overwhelm, because we talked about it, once words hit paper, it goes from this big picture, super scary thing down to this thing that's really, well, there it is. And it's, it's who was talking about the, it, it traps it. They said it traps it. That's cool. Yeah. Like you that. can trap, you want to trap your stories. Otherwise they're ping ponging around in your head, yeah. really wrecking shop. And once it's on paper, then there's a beginning word and there's an end word. The, 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 it's, it's now finite. And whether it's you navigating the story or especially if you're a coach. So coaches, the, the difference between the navigability or coachability of a story, the difference between one in your head, even for talented, skilled, no really know what they're doing coaches as far as transformation, story work, mindset work, it's all the same stuff. 
It is a million trillion, that's an accurate number, Google it if you want to, times easier for, for you to uh, uh, coach someone through a story once the words are written down on paper because you and your client are now staring at the same set of words. There's no configuration. Yep. Excuse me, there's no, there's no um, clarity in space. I keep coming back to those words for a reason. Get it on paper, watch what happens. And we, I'm very happy to go through the four-step process because mm-hmm. um, we've talked about it, not specifically, but we've talked about that first part is get the damn thing written down. Yeah, and I think you also talked about we remember 30% of what we hear, yep. 50% of what we write, yep. and 80% of what we teach. Mm-hmm. And we always share with, with clients and members, we'll teach them something. And then I kind of step out of the way and I'm like, hey, if we have a beginner, you can go teach them because to teach is to learn twice. Now well you're going to, you're, yeah, you're going to, you're going to, I'm copywriting that. Do it. We're going to quote you on that. For sure. Yeah, we are forever. Yeah, yeah, forever. But, but it's it yours. sharpens the sword, right? And then it also, we're not, we're no longer making it about us. We're now empowering the member and now they're formulating a bond. You think of the value biologically around human connection. Yeah, There's so much value in that. Yeah. Right. And I think it's the greatest gift. I think. You know, you talk about like 1-800-KNOW-IT-ALL coaches. Maybe that creates a level of insecurity in the beginning because you're like, oh, no, that person's going to take my job. Now the client's not going to value me. Da, da, da. But it's like, no, 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 no. You just did the greatest gift. You taught somebody something. Now they are empowered to teach somebody else. Guess what that's called? A domino effect, ladies and gentlemen. Now you're positively impacting the world from a global perspective. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what Mark what built with this system. Yep. Because what he taught to now we've certified over 200 coaches, myself being one of them. Like I didn't just end up here because, you know, I'm fun. I did it because I did this process. I went through this work and I practiced it and I learned it and I taught it and I got really curious about it and I started, you know, talking about it more. And then it was like, okay, how do we market this? How do we expand it? How do we grow it? And that became a different way to be a student of it. Uh-huh. And then to practice it, like the best part about this is you can practice it with anyone. You can teach it to anyone. It's that simple. Uh-huh. You know, if you want, if anyone wants to improve their language, just start noticing soft talk. Yeah. Kind of, sort of, maybe. Soft talk, soft talk for us real quickly? So it's words that soften up whatever you're trying to say, right? That creates a little bit of escape room or um, ambiguity. It can create some confusion, lack of clarity. So, uh, so great terms to use when talking about politics. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> if, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but what it is, is it's like, you know, the words will rattle, rattle them off so people know kind of, sort of, maybe, possibly, I guess, uh, I might. I'm trying to, I could, right? There's, I mean, there's probably a few more that I'm missing, but you get the idea, mm-hmm. which is if I'm texting you to hang out on Saturday, there we go. Can Perfect. See that? I think I tried to write them down pretty big. Yeah. Tack it up right there. Yeah. We should know? tack it up right there. <laughs> the, uh, you know, you're trying to make plans with a friend and it's like, Hey, you want to have dinner on Saturday at six? And they're like, yeah, I might be able to make it. It's like, are they coming? It's non-committal. Yeah, it's non-committal. Exactly. I think I think you guys do a really good job of creating action around this practical approach. I think where I'd like to go next with the conversation is you mentioned, you know, the the client, the member, the person taking your course is in the driver's seat. You will go as shallow or as deep as they choose to go. But you and I both know that digging a little bit, getting into the roots is where some of that magic happens. How do you guys then create a safe space to make it okay to go that to go that way? And you know, on these episodes, I'm a huge believer in vulnerability breeds vulnerability. I think vulnerability is strength. I think 
you know, exploring and sharing our stories or potentially our limiting beliefs enables us to gain clarity. And then talking about it, writing about it. Now it's, now it's a real thing. It's not playing ping pong in the head, like you said, and now we can do something with it. How do you create that safe space for people that maybe have a barrier, a shield or a fence um, blockading the entry point? First things first, make it very clear to them what they're getting themselves into, what they're signing up for. And uh, that right there uh, takes care of 90, 90% of it. Okay, so... Would you kind of define that as like creating expectations? Yeah. When, when someone books in to do sessions with an enlisted coach, they know they're going spelunking into their story. Okay, everything's on the table and we're going to ask questions. Okay, and um, there's going to be writing involved. There's going to be emotional responses involved. We're looking to help get them unstuck. Part of the getting unstuck process very often entails some boo-hooing. It's a natural mechanism. Okay, and um, and then interestingly enough, another part of the a large part of that last 10% comes down to the awareness of the facilitator, the enlisted coach, their breath. So if I'm enrolling someone into one of my programs or uh, pitching a, a coaching package um, or, or facilitating a story work, session and then lifted method session and my breath is all trapped in my chest that's going to put them on edge mm-hmm. okay because we're, we're we're talking we're communicating on a conscious level and we're also co- uh, communicating on an unconscious level and that's why we hammer the rock so we're known as the language people we might as well be known as the language and the breathing people okay because we talk about it every workshop that we give to the public uh, talk about it on damn near every podcast uh it is it is the certifications are riddled with the conversation and the application of better words, better story, better breathing. So when I keep my breath, and here's the language that we use, folks, low and slow, low and slow. Coaches, if you, and you might just, you might facilitate this work, as in you and your client both know you're going in there. Great. Get your breath low and slow. Or you've seen this client walks in the door and they just burst into tears about something. Okay. What do you do then as a, and, and let's just, let's pretend that the person, um, coaching it re- really doesn't like to go into those areas all that much, whether you like to go in there or don't like to go in there. And I understand, I understand it. Okay. Whether you want to or not, um, I get it. Get your breath low and slow. And what will happen is that will downregulate your client a whole lot faster, and you will you will negation acknowledge not do something that you 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 will you will not trauma bond. You want to stay out of trauma bonding. Trauma bonding with a client, as this is this is front and center. We say this within the first fifteen minutes of the introductory call on level one, is to get your breath low and slow and keep it there. Okay. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have a propensity to trauma bond with your client, which means they go into emotional releases states, and then you lock up. And when someone is trauma bonding, the, the coach's breath, the breath is trapped in the chest. We lose access to our um, 
creative faculties. We literally lose act like physically we lose access to our peripheral vision. And, and, and that is the hallmark of getting stuck. Okay. When people talk about getting stuck in coaching sessions, you can take out getting stuck and put in holding your breath. So get your breath low and slow and keep it there and watch what happens. You'll create a faster, smoother rhythm with your clients that they will pick up on consciously and unconsciously. And it'll keep you like, I like to keep things simple, man. And, and I've also had a, a number of woo-woo conversations about the energetics of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Trauma bonding is essentially getting slimed in Ghostbusters. You don't want to do that. Stay out of that. Stay clean. Okay. And, and I, I learned this the hard way. I didn't have the, the breathing piece for the first four years of my Mm-hmm. My, my coaching. And Isn't that so fascinating how powerful it is, but you can't huge. see it? It's huge. But you can see it if you pay attention to it. You can see it. it when you become yeah. aware of it, yeah. right? And this is the what, what we're talking about here is back to the state change conversation, mm-hmm. which is you as a coach are not going to go through a state change while your client goes through a state change. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, you guys are both riding the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. If you stay in the control Right. And you're the guy who's driving the, you know, who's in charge of the seatbelts, making sure everybody gets back down. Okay. Right. Go have a good time. Cry, scream, yell, come back down here. And then with a smile on your face, walk out unharmed. Right. Uh Like that's the role of the coach is to stay in that like down-regulated parasympathetic state while your client is going to ride the roller coaster. Uh And if they know that you have a tether, right. And you are the tether. That's where the vulnerability piece that you talked about really becomes natural. Like we don't ever exclusively talk about um, or explicitly talk about vulnerability in in our coaching certification. And there's two reasons that I can clock. One being that the type of coach that is drawn to this level of work and really being able to go to the deeper, more emotional states has a natural propensity to be a heart-centered coach who can create a vulnerable, can create a space for their clients to be vulnerable already. Why they come to us is because they're like, hey, people open up to me all the time. They're telling me about this stuff. I don't know what to do with it, right? So they naturally create that space within their coaching relationships and they need a tool set to be able to to navigate the deep, dark waters. And because because they're talking about it with you anyway, you know, like you, I mean, Bryce, you really strike me as somebody who with your clients, they're going to open up to you yeah, and they're sure. going to like, you, sure. you pull that out of them. And naturally, naturally, you do it naturally. And the way that, our, you know, the way that our system plugs into that is takes people with that natural ability and gives them something to do with it rather I, I than really love that and resonate with it. When I've had conversations with other people in this space, the best advice that I've received is, oh, Bryce, you have to practice the art of detached caring. Oh I'm my like, God. That's... I'm, I'm, I'm like, whoa, yeah. like now that makes me a, a non-empathetic asshole in my, in my humble opinion. Versus like actually seeking to understand. And I love that comment and that metaphor of the tether point. I think mm-hmm. that's really good. And it goes back to like the, the, the coaches that I think this methodology will work for are the ones that have gas, which I describe as give a shit. Yep, and I, and that's I think, exactly it. I think that's what enables you to have long-term lasting relationships because you're not just throwing program design and technicalities at people. You're like, hey, I'm here to co-pilot your journey. And I'm not here to do it for you, but I am here to stay low and slow. Yeah. I will listen. I will seek to understand. Mm-hmm. I will hold space for you. I will zoom out 
we can perspective shift. We can shift lenses. Mm-hmm. We can talk about it. You will write about it. Dude, nailed it, dude. Yeah. And, and, and I think that right there enables us to generate a little bit of clarity for them to get unstuck. Yeah. Big time. And I, and I think the, the way you guys are describing that is just, I mean, you're giving away. You guys are getting free <laughs> tools for your toolbox to take your coaching experience to a whole new level. On, on that note, we are – we just had – Tacos with uh, we, we we talk about this a lot because it's important for us and for other people to to hear. We are open source with our coaching technology. Okay, if someone wants to come in and learn and get certified, great. Come on over here. We're the best in the business when it comes to story transformation work. You will love the certification. If you only want to learn, <laughs> we're going to teach you anyway. And for a couple of reasons, that's the approach we take. We're, 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 we're teachers naturally. My business partner comes from a um, sales and personal development background. We like the, the, the energy that it creates about here. Here's what we're doing. Here's how you can use it. Go use it. Watch what happens. Okay. And so it creates that good juju, the warmth, and we're, we're confident. It's, it's, a, it's also a demonstration of confidence. We'll put this coaching system, I will put this coaching system up against anything out there in the identity transformation business. I will put our coaches up against any coaching community that are in the identity transformation business. And, and so you come in and take a look. This is exactly what we're doing. Yeah, I, I totally align with that. And I think, and I honor it too. And I definitely also think this is a really good, cool service that could be really beneficial for college athletes. Mm. Oh, the, the application of this, this is like so vast. Yeah, it's amazing. Like I'm looking back at this and I'm thinking, man, like this could have been a cool add-on course to help navigate the life of a college athlete with so many, you know, varying stresses thrown on your plate. No idea how to navigate them. And you look at college sports now and, you know, athletes are brands now. They're finding ways to monetize themselves at such a young age. And, you know, they're just trying to figure out how do I play this sport? How do I get my credits accomplished and then also have a social life? And um, I, I definitely think you guys are putting putting a lot of tools out there for us to explore, navigate, and then help sharpen our current swords. I really appreciate that. Yeah. The, what's cool is like we get to teach this to so many different types of coaches. Yep. So we work like myself, a health and fitness coach. Like that's where I came from. That's my vein. That's what I love to teach people through this, through stories around food and exercise and you know, the physical transformation component of it. And then there's, we have coaches that work with, um, that are in the health and fitness space. We have coaches in business. We have coaches that are educators or leaders within a company. We have sex, love, and relationship coaches that we work with. We have people that have gone through this process purely for themselves to have a deeper relationship and understanding of how to self-coach and self-understand. And the, you know, Paul checks telling us, he's like, you got to work with parents. We're like, we know Paul, (laughs) you know, we like, we hear, we hear how many people are like, oh, this would fit in so many different realms. And our answer to that is, well, we're teaching teachers within those realms. So Mm -hmm. come take the certification and then you go teach it in that. If that's your specific area of interest and you want to train college athletes, come on over here, we'll teach you the skills and you go take it and you teach it to them. That's so cool. And it's a really cool ripple effect. With regards to, um, you know, comparison to other schools of thought. We, we are very familiar with Simon Sinek. Mm. And he has the conversation of find your why, which then bleeds over to start with why. Or maybe it, I'm getting that flip-flopped a little bit. And we did a really cool collaboration with the Honor Foundation. 
and uh, my good friend Joe Musselman. And he created this this course and this education system. It's called HTF Honor Foundation, where it takes special forces over here who are really unsure of how to apply their transferable skills into the real world over here. They go through this journey of storytelling, sharing their story. And he familiarized me with an exercise called the equator exercise, which you may or may not be familiar with, where you take a sheet of paper, you draw a line on that sheet of paper on the left side, your earliest memory, EM. The right side is current. And above the equator are varying stories that you have gone through. They're like, those helped shape who I am. They, they stand out. They resonate in, in my brain. But I'd probably go through those again. And then below the equator, as you can imagine, stories that are at the forefront of your brain that really helped move the needle. But you're like, I don't ever want to go through that again. And so we went through this journey. And we plotted different stories And at the end, what you do is you sit across from somebody you really love and you trust and you share those stories and they take notes. Bryce said this a lot. This is a term you used a lot. This was the terminology. Here's a limiting belief that I noticed. And they just kind of take notes to gather some themes. And then you kind of sit with that a little bit, gets you to your why statement, to blank, so that blank. And it was such a fascinating process to go through that journey that a lot of it for me personally lived in my subconscious and I didn't actually know it until I wrote it down. Mm. Like you said, and you'll actually really appreciate this. We went through that story. CJ happened to be my partner Mm. and we wrote it down and we came to the conclusion for myself personally, I think it's always a work in progress, but where I'm at currently, my, my why statement was or is to believe in others and create a safe space to allow their light to shine. Ironically, tattooed on my arm is let your light shine in Latin. I had no idea. And so the irony of that was so fascinating that your tattoo is a spell. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's like unreal. And like, I mean, for people listening, I highly recommend the equator exercise. It, it, it really resonates with, I think, I would love to pair that with what we do. For because sure. what that, that what's cool about that is like we have, so the, the four-step process, which I'm sure Mark will explain and we'll get into, we apply that to the below-the-equator deep-stuck stories that are haunting you forever and that have the emotional reaction and stuck and feeling of, I don't ever want to feel that again. Bust those up. But then the other side of the equation, this is our level two certification, is when you get to those highs and maybe it's the biggest wins of your life, the biggest like celebratory moments of your life, the most things you're most proud of and biggest accomplishments. A lot of bringing it back to the imposter syndrome part of the reason why we have imposter syndrome is because we don't give ourselves credit for that. And so if I don't ever slow down enough to give myself the pat on the back and really own my wins, own what I'm celebrating, own what I've done for other people as a coach, as a leader, as a facilitator, whatever that is, if I never stop and look at that and and give myself credit for it, I don't believe that I'm good enough to keep Mm -hmm. doing more of it or to support other people through this journey. Who am I to be a coach? Who am I to do these things? Well, okay, here's who I am. This is what I've done personally. This is what I've done for other people. These are the, this is the evidence, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I think it's really cool to create awareness around it. Like you said, I'd like to take a brief moment to thank our sponsors for today's podcast. Are your gymnastics grips uncomfortable? Do they feel like cardboard? Do they dig into your wrists? Does it bother you when they flop around? Then you need to try the Alex Smith 2.0 grips by RX Markier. These cutting edge grips were designed by CrossFit Games athlete 
and former gymnast Alex Smith to be the most comfortable grips you've ever worn. High volume pull-ups will feel like a breeze. Go to rxmarkgear.com and use discount code INVICTUSMINDSET to order yourself a pair today. Your hands will thank you. Once again, that's rxmarkgear.com, discount code INVICTUSMINDSET. What do you guys think about, you know, with this challenge with the distraction of social media where negativity is so much louder than positivity? I don't necessarily believe that, but it definitely, if you observe, negativity seems to have this echoing thing that kind of lingers. Well, even positive motivational quotes on Instagram are riddled with wrecked. negations and projections and soft talk. Yeah. They're, don't don't they, let not... anyone steal your light. Yeah. yeah. How do you guys kind of navigate that where um, if people are really trying their best to do what you said, where they're trying to own man, I've done all these things that are really good, but that one thing still haunts me. How do you guys kind of navigate that conversation? It's, here's, the, here's the cornerstone or crown jewel of the Enlifted Coaching Method. It's called the four-step story work process or four-stepping a story. And we used, this, um, we used this in the workshop with you guys two days ago. And this is, I only had <clears throat> two agendas to with this, with this podcast, which is to come on here and have a great conversation with you and share this one specific tool with, with your audience. So that one story that has haunted someone for God knows how long or specifically. So a lot of coaches listen to this podcast, a lot of, um, uh, people in the fitness industry. Uh, if it's not the fastest way to get people, uh, uh, off track, it's, it's up there injuries. Okay. Bet the farm that people with an, and you can apply this specifically to uh, any story you want to. And let's say that story within the, the umbrella of someone's athletic life, their, their, their gym life, their fitness life, that one story that haunts them is an injury. Okay. Very, 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 I say that three times on purpose. Rarely does anyone write out the specific stories that still hold the emotional charge. Okay, and we we did this. We did this one of the one of the team members, um, Kirsten. Yep, two days ago. Yep, and I was, I, of course, I remember her name. I just didn't. Yeah. Uh, it's Kirsten. Yeah, she she crushed it. Um, very rarely do people write those stories out, and that's where you start. So the four step process. There's four steps, hence the name. Wouldn't that be weird if there was five? Step one, title the specific memory and write it out in detail conversationally, not how you feel about the thing that happened now, what happened then. And you want to get, again, specific. So if it's a specific moment, you're in the gym and you go for a lift and something snaps and yeah, you've been in pain since. And it's, 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 because those those unchecked stories absolutely influence our identity, and I know this pers- very this story very well. I had w- once I got once I racked up a couple of injury stories and didn't know what to do with them. I just they were just in there doing things, influencing my identity. Eventually, I identified my some- myself as someone who gets hurt easily and often. And once I took on that identity, it started happening more and more to a point where I was a, a walking train wreck as far as my physical body, and I had to stop the fight game. Hence, darkness. 
Okay. So let's say there's one particular story. You've step one, title it, write it out. It might be painful to write it out. It's nothing compared to living with that thing for God knows how long. Pick your heart. It, I like that. Mm-hmm. Step two, read what you wrote. You can do this work on yourself, coaches. You can facilitate this work for people that you are coaching. And and I'll tell you why here in a second. This is relatively easy work to do. As you, Yes, there's likely going to be some emotional charge. And you're even though it might be heavy emotional stuff, you're, you're staying out of the basement, which is the stuff that happened very likely in their childhood, which is likely connected to. And you can take a major bite out of crime. You can help someone majorly get something off their chest. Look at the words, off my chest. What are we talking about? Pressure, tension, tightness, stress response, coast, uh, uh, breathing, chest breathing. Step one, title it, write it out. Step two, say it. Step three, read it at 70% of your normal rate of speech. Slow it down by 30%. When someone slows down, back to storytelling. Remember that, everybody? When someone slows down their rate of speech, the breath begins to descend down into their abdomen. Okay? You want that. Step four. Let's say there's two paragraphs, four sentences each paragraph. This is the quick and dirty version. You take, you stop at each period and take a long, full inhalation and a long, full exhalation. Big in, big out. Wait till you get the, the breath all the way out and then pick up the story. What that's going to do, so... Story kept in your head, like I said, it's swirling, it's seemingly infinite. Where does it start? Where does it stop? What do I do with this? Once it is externalized, though, we have now literally have uh, distance between our eyeballs and the paper. Then I read it. I've now externalized it and verbalized it. Now I'm reading it slow. Now, and then step four, I'm reading it slow with breath. What that's going to do as the, as the breath descends... That coffee's great, by the way. The, the picture moves out. So again, we're talking about the mechanism of storytelling, the mechanics of storytelling. Picture, breath trapped in the chest, picture in your face. It's personal. I'm still in the story. It's subjective. It hurts. As the breath descends, the picture moves out, and I literally give myself breathing room, and, I'm, and now it's more objective, and I can see more of the bigger picture. Okay, and 99.9% of the time, you or your client, they're going to change their mind on their own instead of you having to tell them how they could or should think about, think and feel about the thing. And therein lies uh, uh, the difference between facilitating someone changing their own mind (laughs) and me telling them how they should think and feel about something. It's it's night and day. Uh Like the world was flat and now it's round. It's like genius because when you look at coaching, the suggestive approach is usually pretty good. The tyrannical or the dictatorship of you need to do it my way very rarely works. And I I just think it's so great that you're having them zoom out. How often do we hear, you know, take a bird's eye view or shift your perspective? And like those are really fancy terminology ways to just allow people to utilize their breath 
allow the dust to settle. One of my favorite analogies is, you know, if there's chaos, like, like you mentioned, that really like sympathetic breathing, I relate that to the three of us jumping into a pool. And when you get into that pool, what happens? There's bubbles everywhere. They're splashing. But if we just get calm for a moment with our breath, what happens? All of a sudden there's clarity. You can see things a little bit more clear when you're inside that water now. And That's I think, a great analogy. I think mm-hmm. the way you guys describe it is, is phenomenal as well. It's Charlie also Chaplin stuff. said it. He said life viewed under the microscope is a tragedy, v- viewed from afar as a comedy. Wow. Okay. And, and you it's know, a good one. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, yeah. It's, it's a great one. And, you know, what you said, um, what was it, dispassionate caring or disconnected caring? I was going to say, we have to come back to that. Well, well, detached it's, caring. D- d- it's, yeah. a, it's a nice idea. Okay. Uh-huh. If and how do, how do you demonstrate that? How do you turn that into a demonstration? It, it, you get your breath low and slow. Okay, uh-huh. and you'll be a good listener. Well, that's something that so many coaches are up against. I can speak. I mean, personally, do this it. was a major issue for myself. I was so attached to my clients' outcomes, and I was so attached to their stories, and I wanted them to su- succeed so badly. And I knew, right? Like, and even Kirsten said it in the workshop. She was like, "It's so obvious when our clients are in front of us what the problem is." And we, it's so obvious how to solve it, right? As a coach, you've walked this path, you know it in and out, you know, if you do one, two, three, and you're going to get the result you want. The challenge is that that person is so stuck in their story and so stuck in the identities that do not serve the result that they're looking for, that in fact block them from the result that they're looking for, because the story is so entrenched in them that as a coach, If you are unaware of how to separate and create the space between your client's story, your own story, and the coaching container, you're going to get trapped. You're going to become the attached, caring coach who overcoaches and who overteaches and who who gets frustrated, right? You're attached to your clients. Burnout as fuck. Like you're so attached to your client outcomes that you lose the process, right? And something that I've learned through this system and that I know I... Austin Lindy comes to mind, right? The guy, one of our coaches, he was making a joke about how he wanted to fly across the country to punch one of his clients in the face before he learned this method. And then afterwards he was like, I'm no longer attached to the outcomes. I'm attached to the process. Mm -hmm. And that's what every coach needs to learn is like be attached to the process, be obsessed with the process of guiding somebody to that result, not attached to the outcomes of of what they're doing. Because when you become that attached, obsessed coach to the client, you're trauma bonding. You're Uh just in it with them and you can't shake it out of them. You can't get them to just like see what you see because they don't know and they're, they're in their story. So the, the, the detached caring, what that is, is it's space between where your client's story is and where your story is. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is you getting clear on your own story and you learning the system and learning the words, learning the patterns and And the space is the breath. Yeah. The space is the breath. I I would, first four years, I would, I was, I, uh, I did as many coaching sessions as I could handle. And we would go into the deep, dark depths and they would have their emotional responses and I'd tighten up with them. Talk about wrecked, dude. Talk about wrecked and burnout after a long day of coaching. If you get your breath low and slow and keep it there and learn to ask good questions. So remember, answers push. Questions pull. That's why a set of great, simple questions delivered from a place of uh, unattachment, we can say, 
And how I do that is I keep my breath low and slow, deliver the question, and whatever they say is is great. I'm I'm not attached negation knowledge to the to the outcome. I can do that all day long. I can do that all day long, and it really is regenerative. Mm-hmm. As in, I feel better after a day of coaching when I'm keeping my breath where I need to, need it to be. Just asking them questions, their own dawn. It's dawn. They're it. They're facilitating the whole thing dawning on themselves. They're doing the writing. Okay, a little bit of prompts here. Take out that piece of soft talk and let's let's flip this projection around because that's forcing you to blame your mom for half of your problems that you've created in your adult life. It's coaching made simple. Mm-hmm. It's coaching made simple. I love that concept of answers push, questions pull. Yeah, think about and it. And what, what pops into my brain is, you know, a client coming over and saying, you know, I didn't reach my goal. And rather than giving like a knee-jerk response and like getting into the weeds, just allow a pause for a moment. Re-navigate and reconnect with low and slow. And then ask, well, why do you think we didn't get there? What do you think we could have done better? How did you feel throughout the process? What were some challenges that you experienced along the journey? And, you know, then, then you start to problem solve a little bit. You start to storytell a little bit. You start to, you know, maybe there's certain ownership on both sides of the equation where things could have been improved. And I, I also love the concept. One of our mantras here at Invictus is full effort is full victory. And we really emphasize to be married to the process Great and words. divorced from the outcome. Yeah. And I, it, it's a very challenging concept because goal setting, <laughs> right? Goal setting is, is for some people this high hanging fruit that is hairy. It's audacious. We're in January currently. So everybody's setting goals for the new year. And sometimes people write down these goals that look really sexy on paper. They sound really good when you say them out loud, but you talked about writing things down. And this Mm -hmm. is something that I've utilized a little bit these last three weeks, which is I've had so many people send some incredible goals. I look at them and I'm like, wow, this person's a go-getter. This is really cool. And then when they come in, the actions weren't necessarily following you know, who they want to be. And so my next question- Because their identities don't match up. Exactly. And what's so fascinating is it really, makes coaching really fun because it's like, hey, you said you wanted that thing, but your actions are not following in alignment with that. And so then I love to ask like, who are you currently? Who do you want to become? And what are, we, what are you willing to do to get there? But those are really expensive questions. Those are heavy questions. They're the scary questions. What stepping stones do you guys suggest to attack that level of questions? Because I'm sure there's a lot of coaches experiencing that a little bit. And maybe they don't, they don't have the wherewithal to ask those specific questions. But where, what, what do you suggest for people that are trying to coach their clients or members to big, hairy, audacious goals and kind of creating a stepping stone process to, to create some momentum. Chunk down the questions. Yeah. Make them as simple as possible and as actionable as possible as immediately as possible. So the question, who are you? How would you chunk that down? What are you going to do in this workout? Somebody comes in and they're... Um, They've got this big hairy goal and they blew it out over the weekend, okay? Drank, ate, whatever. Uh, and they're coming in feeling like feeling like they're feeling. You, you, and, and let's say they're overwhelmed. If they're looking at the big picture, um, uh, uh, that's 
one of the fastest ways to send yourself a note. I mean, it's the same thing. Get the question simple and actionable and um, make it simple for them to, 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 to answer and take action upon. You know, if somebody's got a – when we do goal-setting workshops, the target is the easiest thing in the world to get identified. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that North Star? It's the North Star. What do you want to do? Okay, let's first things first, get the thing written down because if it's not written down, it's a dream. Write it down as a goal. And then there's the plan, okay, which entails three different things, short-term, medium-term, long-term. Short-term is the next 48 hours. What are you doing in the next 48 hours? What decisions can you make? Medium-term is next two weeks. Long-term is next two months. And very rarely when we do, I mean, I've said this how many times, Kimberly, when we get on our weekly team meeting calls, very rarely do we get out of the next two weeks. It's, and statistically, in my opinion, you should spend 1% of your time focused on the target, on the goal, and 90%, 99% of your time in the plan. And 90% of your time in the plan should be focused on the next 48 hours. Okay. So if someone is, um, I disagree, off, going off the rails, get them to get them to focus down and, and, and get simple and take some, take some simple little wins. If someone is floundering, little wins. Mm-hmm. What pops to my brain right there is... Uh, if and then I want to hear what... <laughs> Absolutely. I love that you challenge. That's great. I do the same thing. And sometimes I just challenge just because I like yeah. cooking the bear. Yeah. It's one of, the, one of the reasons why she's our community manager. That's great. So the thing that pops in my brain around this concept is... Um, the best way to decrease your fitness is to continually go at bat for the one rep max that you're trying to pursue, <laughs> right? You talked about the 500 pound analogy mm-hmm. and that bleeds into like my sport of basketball is like, if you're trying to in- improve your basketball skill and all you're doing is practicing half court shots. But if you start small and you, you know, shoot some of the shorter shots and you gradually increase your depth perception, your proprioception, your touch, your understanding of you know biomechanics from the feet through the, the kinetic chain to the release of the ball. Oh, now you're now you're developing an understanding. You're putting in the reps. There's a lot lot to unpack there in your development as a human being. And going back to the process, like yeah, we have a north star, but it's not just about that north star, or that one rep max, or that half court shot. Who do you become in that process? And now you look back on your life, you're like, okay, I did some cool things, but it's like if I say, hey, I picked up 500 pounds, well, the story's over. But what if in the pursuit of trying to pick up 500 pounds, I actually tweaked my back and then I understood you know, better mechanics and I understood how to drive off the floor and to utilize my, my posterior chain and integrate my core. And I had great conversations with people along the way and I built all these relationships and I exposed myself to a wide variety of things that I never thought I would ever experience. And then I got to that North Star. It's like, whoa, you look back, that's living. That's not just existing. That's pretty damn cool to me. Mm. I mean, I don't know about all you guys listening, but that sounds like a pretty cool life. You know, what are your guys' thoughts on on the pursuit and who you become? Well, that's exactly where I disagree with Mark, is that he says 1% of the time on the target, the rest of the time on the plan. I think it's 1% of the time on the target, the rest of the time on the identity. Interesting. Because I know, I can speak for myself, the, the reason that I've achieved the things that I've achieved and that I've done the things I've done is because I believe I'm the type of person who can do it right? It's like, who am I 
like, what am, what is, who am I? What am I doing? Right. If I land very solidly in my identity that I'm constructing and that I'm architecting and where I'm going, the plan becomes easy because who, like, if I'm, you know, if I'm a somebody who can lift 500 pounds off the floor, well, how does that person behave? What do they do? And then I start doing those things. So if I focus all my time on the identity, then I'm going to do the things that that person does. And one of the things that I, um, that I love to teach in a, in a fitness environment specifically is when people come with goals and, um, I don't work with athletes at the same level that you're working with, right? I'm working with a very general population people. I teach classes at Row House, people who are just getting fit for the first time, maybe people that are getting back into fitness, rehabbing from injuries. They just want to move and feel good and sweat. And what I often do is I ask them, you know, okay, you showed up today. You're here for a reason. You have a goal, right? Um, imagine yourself achieving that result. You know, take the time to visualize it. Take your time to see where am I going? If I want to be 20 pounds lighter, take the time to look at yourself that way, right? See, close your eyes, feel it, see it. Take that on as part of your identity. Feel into that. Now, that person is the person that showed up to class day. How did they behave? That's cool. Because that's different, right? Like if I, if I have this, the visualization of like myself in that result and myself in that identity, my behaviors will follow. I totally align with that in the sense of... Um... Who are you becoming? And I think in our realm, sometimes the analogy is every day when you come into work, pretend like you are the business owner. You know why? Because then when you go into the bathroom, you will kind of wipe the sink if there's extra water there. If there's a paper towel on the floor, you will grab that and put it away. You'll do those little extras because you place tremendous value on it as if it's yours. Look at the common area of an apartment. Most people don't take ownership over it because it's not their apartment. It's cool because it forces you to take ownership for your action because you're placing self in the identity of who you are becoming or who you want to become. Yeah. That's that's special. I never and thought of like, it that way. And like I think about the, you know, let's use the example, example of I'm an author. Okay. Right. Well, what do authors do? They write. Okay. So if you if you want, if your goal is to publish a book and you're not writing every day, that's what you, that's okay. That's a plan. That's the actions you got to take. But if you focus on the identity of I'm an author, well, okay, I'm an author. Well, f of course I'm writing. I'm an author, right? If I'm, if I'm an elite athlete, okay, of course I'm drinking water and eating good food and training every day. Of course, that's what they do. That's super cool. <laughs> We're both agreeing. The enactment of the plan is the aggregation of the identity of the person. No, that's a lot of big words, man. <laughs> 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 Since we're on the concept of big words, there's one that really stands out to me. Um, for lack of a better term, the pen kind of feels like a wand. <laughs> Will you touch on the uh, significance of the term abracadabra for me? That seems like a very special one. Happily. That's yours. I appreciate it. This is cool. It is. Shout out to Eric Blackwell. He's the... Uh, Project Magic Manager for uh, the Enlifted app, which is coming out next month. Very cool. And he's got a wood shop. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah. He's made quite a lot of abracadabra pieces for us, whether that's a stone like that or uh, my business cards or wooden coins with abracadabra on the back or plaques. And, and, and that word has... Um, has it become synonymous with us? It's close. Maybe maybe synonymous is not the word, but integral. Better word. 
So 2000 and so when when most people hear the word abracadabra, they go to magic. Okay, that's what they think of. And there's a little more to it than that. Take out a little, put in a lot. In 2013, I was living in in Vilcabamba, Ecuador, as you do from time to time. You need to go to the mountains and hang out. And I went out to dinner with some friends. There was a guy at the table that knew uh, I was into the language game. And he said, hey, buddy, you know what you know what abracadabra means? And I'm like, yeah, 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 magic. And he goes, no. There's more to it than that. He said, abracadabra, and you look this up, folks, is Aramaic, which is a language that is still spoken in some, some areas of, of, of Persia. Uh, uh, and it's the language the original Old Testament was written in, and the one of the two languages, Jesus. It's an old language. And abracadabra translates to with my word I create or with my word I influence, which ties back into our comp. When he told me that, man, the, the hair stood up and I went over and I said, the tell me neck just up. everything you know. And I have been barking about it since almost 10 years of, of talking about it in most podcasts, conversations. All of our coaches know this back to front. The metaphysicians of the day, the teachers of the day, they would triangulate abracadabra just like that. And wear it around their neck to remind them of the power and the mechanism of the spoken word. And also, you know, they believed that abracadabra configured in this way would siphon out negative oh, that, energy. That's cool. I can see that now. Yeah. That's why it's configured that way. That's another reason why I'm so glad I can connect with you guys in person. You just don't get that same <laughs> yeah. feeling totally, dude. on, on, mm -hmm. on an online call. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, we it's it's... The definition of magic is the ability to apparently alter the course of events using supernatural forces. It's not the ability to do it. It's the apparent ability. And when someone knows how to pick up the pen and break the spells that have constricted their imagination and their breath and their feelings and, and, and really um, foundationally support the victim mentality, they know how to do that. And they also know how to celebrate their wins, get the, get the stories written down that um, they're proud of. You know, most people have a problem taking a compliment. You want to see a bunch of blank stares? Give everybody a pen and say, write down your five biggest accomplishments specifically. Mm -hmm. They will struggle. Okay? It's, 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 it's surprising. Um, you know what else is really fascinating about that? What's that? You're not telling people what to think, but you're challenging them to think. And what That's I education. love... Yeah, it's education, but it's also... I don't know. It's fun. It's it's exploration. It's cognitive fitness. It's clean. Yeah, and and what's also really intriguing about all of this is abracadabra. That elicits this feeling of magic, like you say, which makes people who don't understand or seek to understand assume, oh, it's just woo woo. Like that's not for me. Right? There's this judgmental concept associated with that if it's used as a title. Right, If that's the title of an article and it circulates social media, people are like, yeah, what's the validity of that? But if you press pause, like you mentioned, and you talked about listen, there's more to listening than just the audio component. There's the body language. There's the energy exchange. There's the eye contact. There's the passion. There's the enthusiasm. There's the breath. 
there's so much there that you can link and you can connect with. And there's also the tone. And I think that like if people can zoom out, observe that a little bit more closely, not just in others, but also within themselves and utilize this magic wand, Mm -hmm. they can truly make the rest of their life the best of their life. I think that's really magical what you guys are doing. It's practical magic. It is. Because it takes us to this place where, you know, we can, if we're in the land of the woo and it's all ethereal up in the head, you know, and it's the dreams and it's the visions of ourselves and it's the, it would be nice if I could achieve this and I'm, and it's all just in this dreamland. Well, the way we physically bring it into reality for the first time is writing it down. Uh There's matter inside that pen that comes through your hand from your brain that puts it onto the paper, right? And it's quite literally now exists in the world. Do you think that'll change over time? Like, and when you look at the the graduate or the um, education system, when, you know, we we were all young, we did a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. Now kids are exploring iPads and texting and typing. Um, Do you think the formulation of memories and, you know, the, those percentages that we talked about, like the cognition and where, you know, what you remember will change over time as technology continues to develop? I'm sure that it already is having that impact. Um, I mean, kids aren't taught cursive anymore. It's like a very like, you know. It's like, known as digital dementia. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked scary. into this. But I mean, I think about as a kid and even still, like I'm very attached to a pen and writing things down physically. And I like, I mean, like to do art. I like to create, right? So I like to have that physical expression through through my own hand. Mm-hmm. And to type something out or to text it out, you know, it's even... I mean, we've gotten to the point we just use voice notes. We don't even text. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, you know, it's, it's difficult to... It's like easier to just express through mm-hmm. your voice or to express through handwritten something. And I really... I think it's an essential piece of, I mean, didn't you do something where you're practicing your handwriting for a period of time? Like as a kid, I did that all the time. I was obsessed with having good handwriting. You have great handwriting. Yeah. And it's like one of my favorite things to to do. And like even my messy, like scrap handwriting is still like an extension of my, now this is getting, this is getting a little woo. But the thing is, is that like I use art, my handwriting, my uh, creation, that's all part of my spell magic, mm-hmm. right? That's where I'm I mean, creating in the, in something. In the health and fitness space, it's the delivery of information. That's how you write on the whiteboard and how you communicate. Yeah. yeah. And uh, with with that being said, I have a, a little bit of curiosity here. Since we talked about with Paul Check and a little bit the world of psychedelics and whatnot, uh, somebody that I really like to listen to is Aubrey Marcus. <laughs> and uh, he, he talks a little bit about the pen. And you we know this as a writing device. But if I put it here and I close this page, well, now it's a bookmark. If I take it and I poke you with it, now it's a poking device. If I stab you with it, well, now it's a murder <laughs> weapon. Is a pen still a pen? And how do you guys create clarity around language with that concept where, you know, you talked about communicating to the kids in Thailand and trying to be clear, concise, simple, efficient, slow with your words and repetitive so that mm-hmm. they knew exactly what to do. The, the mission or the task at hand to go from point A to point B, point B back to point A safely. What are your thoughts on that? The first thing that comes to mind to me is like either way is a tool. Yeah. So it's utilizing a tool differently for different functions, different different needs, right? And 
getting resourceful <laughs> and yeah. creative, mm-hmm. right? Because part of that's like creativity too. If I only ever think of this thing in this one way and that's all it's ever is, right? It, it, we have options. Yeah. We have options and it opens up like a different way of viewing the same thing, different uses, just different intentions. Mm-hmm. What comes to your, to your mind when I, when I bring that up? It's a clarification device. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also a, um, It's a very, it's it's a tool for personal empowerment. Mm-hmm. Get down what you want to do. Write it down. I know we keep saying the same things over again. There's a reason for that. Yeah. Um, Jordan Peterson said there's no difference between thinking and writing. It's so fascinating you brought him up. I was literally just about to say, yeah. one of the things I love about you is how patient you are. You think before you speak. And I think oftentimes, especially in the podcasting space, People feel the need to always fill the gaps, but I actually really appreciate the calm, the pause, and that you're, you're allowing yourself the time to process and say what you mean. That's, Jordan Peterson's the, amazing at that. We tell the coaches this frequently. If they want to master the enlisted method, take out the enlisted method, put in coaching, in my opinion. Take out coaching, put in public speaking, in my opinion. If you want to master those things, which are all communication, it's all communication and storytelling. If you want to master storytelling, you got to master the pause. You got to master silence. There's only one way to do that, and that is breathe in with silence. Like if, if things get silent and I pucker up, that that's a whole other thing for sitting and breathing and and and. You know, if you want to, you want to, you, you're, when you're coaching people and you're facilitating transformation, you're establishing rhythm and breaking rhythm, establishing rhythm, breaking rhythm. That's cool. You're coming into rhythm within. Yeah, exactly. And if if I'm, if I'm conscious, my conscious breathing trumps unconscious breathing. Let's just go all the time. Okay. I'm, I, I know this when I start interacting with someone in a coaching or transformation, transformative uh, uh, setting or, or, or teaching. Okay, because that's where most of my coaching is right now. I'm I'm establishing rhythm, and I'm going to um, I'm setting the tone, and then I'm going to dictate the pace. Okay, and if I need to slow things down, I will. If I need to speed things up, I will. If I need to pivot, I will. And and you know, a good question delivered with silence on the end of it. I mean. You can you can break down all kinds of people's walls and defenses like that, mm-hmm. only if they want to go there. That's which, why I was going to bring it back to the conversation of vulnerability, the, which puts them back in in the driver's seat. Listen, um, uh, and the you brought up earlier, how do you facilitate um, vulnerability with people? Uh, they need to know what they're signing up for. Okay. Um, Well, I, I believe a lot of the conversations that I direct experience and what I've watched other coaches go through is uh, people want to talk about what their problem is and people want to talk and share what's going on for them, especially if they're seeking coaching, like they want your help and they're going to tell you a lot. It's not 
often that you need to, like you are going to need to ask clarifying questions to pull some more out or to guide the conversation in the direction you want to go. But if you're a know-it-all coach or you're a coach who has all the right answers and you're explaining everything to your client, they're not, you're not giving them the opportunity to share what's, what's happening in their experience. And in a good coaching session where you're really getting the client to guide and, and to share, you have to be silent and listen. And if I'm constantly trying to explain something to you, or I'm interjecting every time you get one half a sentence out that I'm like, oh, okay, this is this. Okay. Like that's not going to work because that person's, they're overwhelmed. They're not listening. They're still trapped in their story. Give them the chance to slow it down, calm down, leave a little extra silence. And what you're going to notice is they're going to say something and, you know, it's like they get half the story out and you sit there and you have a little bit of silence. And next thing you know, they're talking again, right? Rather than immediately responding, just give them the chance to, Mm -hmm. they'll go there. And then knowing the difference between, you know, just like sitting on the other side of, of listening to a story and, or maybe what's more similar to like talk therapy. It's like, Hey, write that part down right there. Let's, let's stick into this line right here and change a few things. And, or let's check in with the feels on this. Let's, where are we at? Say it slower. One adjustment. And it turns the whole thing on its head. Like, I mean, I've been through years and years of talk therapy. Like all I did was sit there and machine gun mouth everything out. (laughs) And I walked out feeling more stressed than when I went in. And it was because I was unresolved. And I was like, you know, I have more to say. And it's like, there would be sessions where my therapist maybe got in like two words. And love the guy who's great. Eventually, like I figured out once I started using the system, actually, I got a lot more out of my therapy sessions. <laughs> it was that. really cool. It was really cool because then I could be like, oh, do you hear what I just said there? Let's change that one thing. Like I saw it was a space to self-coach. It was cool. So cool. But a lot of that, is, it's silence, right? It's being able to master that silence is where your clients are going to get the one layer deeper or the one thing out because they need the space to process it. They maybe have never spoken into these things. They definitely haven't written it down. Give them the chance. Yeah. Let's, let's jump into problem solving. Yeah, d- jump jump out real quick. Okay, cool. Let's jump into problem solving real quick. I'm very curious. When you look at jumping from the guy that goes from A to B, right? Everybody loves the comeback story. When you look at going from point A to point B, and let's say you had tremendous success doing it that way for a very long time traumatic event happens and now you're trying to transform from point B now to point C but you're not equipped with those tools needed to go from B to C you're still trying to do things the same way you did from A to B and you're stuck in that stubborn mindset around well it worked for me before why isn't it working now what do you think about that and what tools do you equip people with to realize and recognize that those original tools maybe have transferable skills into this next chapter, but we need to integrate maybe a different rhythm, as Mark was saying before. Yeah, it's two things. So the first one being, rather than asking why it isn't working, let's ask how it isn't yeah, working. I love that. You guys always talk about the why versus the how. That's yeah, a great it's, place to go. It's essential because um, why am I always sabotaging myself? Why am I always, uh, you know, breaking my diet? Why am I always skipping my workouts? 
that's an unanswerable question in a lot of ways. It just like creates the picture of overwhelm. It's and the little kid that just says, why? 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 <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and it's whiny. It's a little yep. whiny. It's, it's definitely like in that victim state a bit. So if we take, if we chan- translate to, you know, how am I always skipping my workouts? Well, class is at 5.30 and every day I'm working until 5.15 and the gym is actually 20 minutes away. So I know I'm going to be rushed and I'm going to be late. So I stop going or I'm not going. And okay, well, then what can we do? How about we schedule class at 6.30 instead of 5.30? What happens then? Oh, all right. Well, now I can... I can actually work until 5.30. That's really cool. Then I can take a breath. I can have a snack. I can drink some water. And then I can make class at 6.30. Mm-hmm. So rather than asking why, 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 why isn't it working? Why isn't this happening? Why isn't it going? Like how, how, how is it not going the same way? Yeah, for sure. And then the second thing is the pattern interruption. So when you're stuck in the same story and you're stuck in the same behaviors and you are in the same narrative, we have to interrupt that because that's the only way that it's like... You can, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting a different result, like interrupt the pattern. And sometimes that is uh, do something different, get something different. That's like one of my favorite Mark England quotes. I like that. <laughs> it's like so science. simple. It's so simple, do right? something get different, get, get something, something different. different. You know, it's like try something different, interrupt a pattern or so my, interrupt my the story. My question to catch you up is if you have a guy that goes from point A to point B, super successful along that journey, does things a certain way and is kind of attached to that methodology and that rhythm, well, then traumatic event takes place. That methodology is no longer working for them anymore, Mm -hmm. but they're looking to go from point B to point C while still stubbornly kind of utilizing the same methodology they were using over here. How do we transform that? And I was saying or we were kind of having a conversation around the why versus the how. Mm. Like when we, when I say why versus how, what comes to mind? Process. Yeah. Process versus opinion. And if, um, let's say, you know, you could take out stubborn person A and, and put in Mark England. Uh, <laughs> if I was coaching myself back in the day, uh, one of the things that would have been very valuable is for me to write out and get honest about what what my process is and what my, where what my expectations are. Okay, what do I think doing this this and this is going to lead to? And it's very clarifying to to write out your habits. And if someone does and they're honest, then it will be easier. I'm not saying that that's going to stop them from doing that thing the way they've been doing it, it's going to, it's going to facilitate them learning from it quicker. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, cause you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. And it goes from unconscious to conscious. It goes from unconscious to conscious. Everything starts with awareness. And, um, I, I, I misanswered what I wanted to. So going back and saying, you know, letting people know what they're getting into it, uh, as far as vulnerability, if someone wants help and wants to change, they're going to be vulnerable. Okay, to to a, a, a decent degree, they're going. Would to be. you say that's because their way is not working anymore, and they've reached a version of rock bottom? There's a level of pain. Yeah, I mean that's that. There's a there's a correlation to that. that. You know, uh, uh, well, it's either pain or openness, right? So it's 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 if it's 
if we were talking about like the people that are coming to change for the first time or something that is new to them, usually that's that the underlying thing is pain. Yeah. Then once you've uh, gone through a couple of those painful changes where, you know, you almost had your hand forced, then you have an open mind to, I could do something a little bit better or different, or it's possible that there's a better way to do this. Mm -hmm. In which case then that person also gets a sense of, well, I'm going to just put all my cards on the table and you help me. Mm -hmm. um, I can yeah, really resonate book. with that. Like, I'm, I'm pretty stubborn myself and pain has really been the only thing that's gotten me to change. And it's a I, strong motivator. <laughs> it, really, it, really, it really, really is. And I think you guys are creating the wherewithal for people to recognize that that's okay. Own that. Write about it. Hurry up and hurry up and make the mistakes. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of what are so the Enlifted method is a set of practical mindset tools that unlocks freedom and confidence. That's our. Can you say that again? That sounds so cool. Perfect. Yeah. Whoa, happily. Wait, but, but low and slow low and seventy percent speed. But look at him. He's already Enlifted coach. The Enlifted method is a set of practical mindset tools used to unlock freedom and confidence. In in that process, what we're doing? Where did I got lost? Because I got slow. Where were we going? Just we were it. talking to uh, pain. Oh, all right. So the idea of creating um, more emotional intelligence and more emotional range. So what this process allows for it unlocks freedom and confidence to experience like the full range of human emotions. Most of us are like not um, naturally inclined to go through those full range emotion of, of all the emotions. We feel them. We know they all happen. We're overwhelmed by them. Potentially we're feeling multiple at once. What happens when we slow down, the reason they become unlocked is because we have the space to feel them. And then we have the method that we're using, clocking, where in your body do you feel it? How intense is it? understanding, getting a little bit more clarity around what those feelings are and how they're showing up. Mark and I have talked about this recently about how the more coaching sessions we facilitate um, and the more human emotions that we witness through this process and providing space for people to be that vulnerable and go and dive deep on it, it's enhancing our range of feeling and emotions and empathy because we get to experience it with our clients. And while we're not directly experiencing it and we're not necessarily trauma bonding to it. We are bearing witness to it. And you get the chance to see and experience that range of what it is to be human. And we all have these emotions and we maybe have learned down the line somewhere that's not okay to express them or that we should keep them locked away or that we uh, you know, shouldn't share them with other people or go hide in the corner and cry, whatever that is. In this process you get the opportunity to face them and to name them and to feel them and then just air it out with the breath and it's okay. And that sigh of relief that happens feels really freaking good. Yeah. It almost sounds like you guys are creating a practical approach for people to be more human. Yeah. And cor correct me if I'm wrong, but something that comes to mind here is most people are living lives of quiet desperation. And I think when you zoom out from that, they now, by writing things down, creating clarity around 
what's causing that life, have the opportunity that, and the tools to say, okay, enough is enough. I now want to become the best version of me. The, the system provides them with a bridge from the victim mentality to the architect yeah. mentality. I go from everything's happening to me. It's not like I have no control. I'm totally disempowered in that full victim state to I can change a few words. Let me understand the language patterns here. And now I'm over here creating the life that I want and architecting the experience I want to have. And as a coach, taking somebody from that victim-centric state to the creator of what they want, rather than, it's not your job as a coach to be their hero. It's your job to be their guide. Yeah, They're the hero. They got to go from victim to hero. You're the guide. You, you're holding the lantern on the trail. And they're the one doing all the freaking work. Yeah, And a lot of times there's younger, less experienced coaches want to be the hero for their client. Mm -hmm. And that's not what it is. Yeah, that's really cool. Hey, Mark, uh, do you ever shit on yourself <laughs> from time to time? Clearly, I said should. Do you ever should on yourself? What comes to mind when I ask that? I should get back into jujitsu. What if you were to change the should into could? What does that sound like? I could get back into jujitsu. How does that make you feel? There's more space. Yeah. How did it make you feel when you said should? Obligatory. Something I needed to do. Some obligation there. A little bit of pimp handing myself for waiting this long. Mm -hmm. And what if you were to change the could to can? I can get back into jujitsu. And how did that make you feel? I mean, even in the, in the term, in the way you said it, the delivery there was a little different. That's ex that's one of the things we're talking about. Learn to track the words, folks. Pay attention to how people breathe when they say something of significance. If you if you do this work long enough, I mean, I can't negation. I can't call it clear audience as in as in you're hearing magical things and you'll pick up on stuff that most people miss as in subtle inflections and intonation, which is very valuable. If you're a coach and you're there to transform story, uh, it feels better. It feels fun. It feels more fun. And what if you were to add a, because you can, because I can get back into jujitsu because, uh, we made a fantastic hire with, <laughs> and she's taken uh, a lot of the sales process and things I was doing off my plate. Um, and, and, and I can also do jujitsu, get back into jujitsu because, because my brand new gi that I bought myself for Christmas is in my mailbox. Hey, <laughs> and I've got a plan. Okay. I've got a plan, which is um, Brian Nelson is one of Rick McCoy's. He, he runs Rick McCoy's gym. He's his uh, black belt, and he does. Uh, I'm going to buy a 10 pack of individual one on one sessions when I get back into um, when I get back to Richmond, and I'm doing that because there is still part of me 
So there are the things that we can – there's the parts of our story that we can uh, remediate, dispel, shrink down with paper and pen. And then there are the things that we will only develop identity-wise by going through the process of it. Okay. Uh, there's part of me that I, I, will, I will prove to myself in increments that um, I can train intelligently – in jiu-jitsu now because I'm older and wiser by um, training more intelligently because I'm older and wiser. And that entails getting a, I'm, I'm going to buy a 10 pack of individual sessions with this guy. And so instead of going right back into open mat and, and relying on my archaic jujitsu, um, I'm going to get back into it in a, in a, in a smart way. I love that. And I also think integrating the word because there's an element of accountability. There's an, a, an element of excitement because there's a reason behind it. And also there's some deconstruction of ego where there's no expectation but appreciation around your love for jiu-jitsu. 100%. And, and so there's a lot to uh, – untangle there. What is it about jujitsu that makes you come alive? Because we've heard Joe Rogan talk about it. I've had yeah. Jason Kalipa on and he talks about his love with it. And it seems to be something that as people evolve over time, that seems to be a very popular arena that people are leaning into. What is it that, that gravitates you towards that arena? Jujitsu is truth. There's, there's, you, you're going to get exposed. Okay, um, and what works works, and what doesn't doesn't, and it um, it is as humbling. It's the most humbling thing I've ever done. Okay, that and some story work sessions. You know, me going into my projections where I was blaming God knows who for everything I could get my hands on. That's a that's a that's a a, a large, thick, warm slice of humble pie as mm -hmm. well. One of my favorite things around the blame game is when you point, you've got three fingers pointing oh, yeah. back at you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always yeah. think that's cool for people to see. If I point at you, I've got three yeah. pointing back at me. You know, my mother, my, my mother uh, treats me like a child. Okay, when I take out my mother and I put in I, that, that just got a lot different real fast. Got mm -hmm. real. I, I treat me like a child. I mean, yeah, whoa. Okay, or um, he never lets me think for myself. I never let me think for myself. She's always talking over me. I'm always talking. And that, that right there, those are projections, folks. And when you take out the keywords, the he's and the she's and the they's and the moms and the dads and the people's first names, and you, literally, you're taking your words and going like this. Mm -hmm. that's, um, that's very confrontational. What do they call that? The accountability mirror? The, the, yep. Call it that. Call it a reflection. Call it plucking yourself in the nose. It's hard to lie to you. When you look yourself in the mirror while you're brushing your teeth and you're looking at you, it's tough. Well, my business partner said when we first partnered up, he goes, what's to keep this out of, for, what's, how, how would you, what's to keep this out of a psychopath's hands? And I was just flat out reflections. Okay. You're turning yourself back in on yourself to take a good look at yourself. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, and then, and then there's, there's the, the, un. There, there's the attraction to jujitsu. Okay, I wrestled in high school. I was the guy that half-assed it during practice and went and smoked cigarettes in the parking lot. And it was it was it was it was good enough for me to 
show up, but I did not dedicate myself. I did not decide to become good, which going back to that word, I know you like it. Uh, the, that, that comes from a Greek word and the word decide means to cut off all other options. Okay. It's a, there's a finality in a decision. Um, you know, herbicide, homicide, it's over. Jiu-jitsu was my first love. I fell in love on site. First time I got choked, I was like, fine, yeah, I pinned you, you pinned me. But choking somebody uh, or, or taking a limb in a, in a direction that's not designed to go until they give up, like that's, that's a whole other level of cool. And I know cool is an opinion. For me, that was – I was immediately hooked and – and, you know, we can't choose what we're attracted to. So just like a person, you can't talk yourself into being attracted to someone. Mm-hmm. You can't talk yourself out of being attracted to somebody. And this is and, – and I said it like this. I have very little expectation going back into the jiu-jitsu game, little to none. I'm going to do these 10 sessions with homie, all right? And we'll, we'll, we will reevaluate after that because I've, there's been a number of times where I've gone back in and um, – uh, it, it felt wrong or I got hurt. Uh, and, and you know, the last time I rolled, I got my arm ripped out of socket and, uh, had to get a Tommy John, uh, which ended up facilitating one of the best moves we've ever made in, in and lifted mm-hmm. or with, with the company. It spawned, it set it saw up a series of events where now I can look back. And, and so I'm, I'm this is all I'm saying. I wonder what the jujitsu gods have for me this time. Yeah. And so it entails my, one of my Christmas presents to myself was uh, I bought an eighth of a buffalo, frozen, had it mailed to me. <laughs> true story. Am I lying? I'm not true. And then a jujitsu gi and, and then 10 sessions. You just perked the eyebrows of Liver King. He's super excited. It's a Liver King. <laughs> I, 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 I'm aware of the Liver King. Yep. Yep. Uh, Brandon Powell loves the Liver King. And, uh, um, and then I'm going to do this. I've got a jujitsu gi now, and I'm uh, I'm going to take these ten sessions. We'll see what happens after that. That's cool. And if the gods want me in the game, they'll they'll get me there. They'll keep me there. That's great. And you know, I will also participate in that because I'm going to do it smarter this time. Yeah, and you're going to be where your feet are. It sounds like you're not projecting into the future. You're just like, hey, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be in that session. Well, I don't need to prove to anybody that I'm a tough guy. Yeah. Or I, I don't need to prove to myself that I'm not scared because behind the scenes I'm scared. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like I've, I'm. Did you hear that? That was that vulnerability thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's, 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 that's what got me to hurt myself in the first place. Mm-hmm. If I'm not the fighter, then I'm, um, I'm what I, I'm afraid that I, I'm, I might be. Okay. Or I'm using the fight game as a band aid for all my unresolved problems with myself, which is yeah. exactly what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And when that band-aid got rip, ripped off, n- not a happy place. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, I like myself now. Yeah. Okay. I've got what, stuff. I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm weird so in the cool sense. about all this though is, yeah. you know, in the beginning. You here, know, it is, we, here it is, dude. I'm good enough. I'm <laughs> not, not that I'm great. I'm, I'm good enough to show up for these podcasts. I'm good enough to be a business partner. I'm good enough to teach this stuff. Like I, I, jujitsu is not, it, it's, it's only going to be jujitsu instead of, the the story of me that I w- wish the world to see. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, that totally makes sense. What I'm hearing and what's so cool for all of this to come full circle, we were chatting off camera in the beginning and, you know, connecting, bonding, sharing, you know, how the podcast came to life. And I said, you know, 
what is your title? What would you like me to identify you as, you know, uh, the language guy or, you know, lifted coaches? What does that look like? But you know what's so fascinating? You're Mark England. You're, you're a human being, right? And you're Kimberly Kesting. And I think that element right there is so powerful because all of these things are designed to enable us all to be more human. And I appreciate your time. I appreciate your energy. Uh, a couple last-minute things that I'd love to uh, toss, toss your way. If you could make a law for the entire world to follow, what would you make that law? Smile more and breathe better. I love that. Wouldn't be write the shit down. <laughs> now, nah, nah, like like we've said a number of times, gun to head, it's about the breath. Yeah, yeah, fine. We're here to help you change your words and your story and 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 your identity, and um, become more skilled with your speech and your writing and your thoughts. And it, let's let's unlock the breath of humanity and see how this thing shakes out. That's a cool one. Mm-hmm. Dancing eyebrows and all. Yeah. That's solid. <laughs> Where can people find you guys? So you can find us at Add and Lifted Coaches on Instagram, our website, inlifted.me. And uh, yeah, hang, talk to us on Instagram. I'm behind the account. So Very soon cool. to be Mark, too. We're going to nuke his Instagram in a couple of weeks. Nice. <laughs> so he'll, he'll, you'll be able to get Mark behind and Lifted Coaches as well. I can't wait for that. And uh, I think you were on a TED Talk once upon a time. True story. Where can people kind of find that guy? YouTube, Mark England, TED Talk. Very cool, man. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today and letting me uh, poke the bear and deconstruct my apparent 16-ish pages. <laughs> we'll go with the it, – it, it looks like f- six, five. We'll go with 16. It's a good story. Yeah, but it's double-sided and there's right, like he's way outside fine, the margins. 10. You know, he's got there, – there's, there's a lot, a lot, of, of, there's a lot, a lot there. of really good things here. And uh, as I talk about often, writing fills the gaps within the thinking. And you guys are not only helping me but helping yourselves, helping our amazing community. And uh, we're just so fortunate to cross paths with you. If you guys enjoyed my conversation with Mark and Kimberly, please rate, review, subscribe, and uh, share with your friends. And as always, stay on the hunt for who you've not yet become. Take care. Until next time. I'd like to take a brief moment to give a shout out to our supporters over at Invictus Athlete. CrossFit Invictus is hosting a master's camp from February 4th through 6th, 2022. The camp is designed specifically for the master's athlete with hands-on coaching and programming from owner and founder, CJ Martin and Nicole Cripps. Our camp will touch on a variety of training aspects, all designed to help our master's athletes learn, perform, and recover at their very best. This will be a great way to get ready for the 2022 CrossFit Open and develop your skills with our dedicated Invictus Masters community. Reserve your spot now through, through the CrossFit Invictus website, crossfitinvictus.com.